This episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling. Watch the CONCACAF Gold Cup in June and July with Sling TV. Uh, with the best teams competing against the US to win the competition, watch the games on Sling TV. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, my name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnair. This, Kartik, <laughs> it's hard to believe, but this is episode 1,500. Uh, since we began the podcast in 2006, <laughs> it's what are we? 2023. It, it's been like what, like 17 years. Uh, 1500 podcast episodes. Yeah, I, I, I would have in, in the beginning. I, I would have never imagined it would have gone this long and this well. What about you? Yeah, I, I never would have imagined it either. And it's just such a a great testimony to everybody at World Soccer Talk. Uh, that's worked with us through the years and uh, the different incarnations we've had of this podcast. We've really kind of pivoted and adapted to what the audience wants and what our readers are uh, interested in. So we started out as an interview show. I mean, we brought some of that back with what Kyle does midweek, except on video this time. We've gone through incarnations of doing review shows of European football and, and English football, doing uh, uh, stuff in terms of uh, major tournaments, World Cups, Euros, Copa Americas. Uh, doing daily uh, shows about that, went uh, into broadcast uh, pretty heavy for, for several years and, and broadcast media and analyzing that, and uh, now talking about hot topics in the game. All right, well, a big hot topic is in the last 12 months, Saudi Arabia has been working on trying to change sports as we know it, whether it's golf or tennis, and now soccer. Uh, the wealthy Arab nation has set its sights on conquering world sport. Uh this week, there was a quote, I think it was in uh, the mainstream press, but it was from um, the president of the Saudi, Saudi Arabian Football Federation. And he said in regards to kind of all of the investment in the sport, he says, sport is a key driver of Saudi Arabia's ongoing transformation under Vision 2030, which has established the kingdom as one of the fastest growing and most exciting countries in world sport. We believe hosting international events provides a opportunity to grow the game further and to uh, inspire new and existing fans while showcasing to the world uh, Saudi's uh, hospitality, or as- hospitable culture and uh, huge passion for soccer. So in soccer circles, Saudi Arabia's uh, public uh, investment fund, uh, PIF, uh, now owns an 80% uh, stake in Newcastle United and owns 75% of the four most popular Saudi Pro League teams. And as we've seen in the transfer window in the last 12 months, I mean, it's, it's, every time we look at it, there's another transfer rumor or signing. Uh, the Saudis have signed I mean, so many stars, including uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema. Uh, last week was uh, Ruben Neves, uh, Nagola uh, Kante. Uh, and many, many more players linked to the Middle East uh, nation. So, Kartik, I ask you, what's the big deal? Why should we pay attention uh, to this story on this podcast, this topic? And uh, also, do you have any concerns about what Saudi Arabia is doing? Yeah, so initially, uh, early last week, there was a lot of uh, uh, interest in the British press about the number of player sales from Chelsea 
potential player sales. Uh, the only one that's actually crossed the line as of this recording is uh, Hakeem, uh, it's not Hakeem Ziyech, that hasn't been closed yet, um, is, is Angola Conte, and that was, a, uh, uh, th- th- that was done earlier on. So, uh, but the number of potential player sales from Chelsea to Saudi Arabia and the suspicion about Clear Lake Capital and Todd Bowley's other business ventures in Saudi Arabia. Now, it does appear like there is a remarkable amount of interest from the big, the new big four that you referenced uh, in Saudi Arabia, uh, those four clubs, uh, which are all in Jeddah and, and Riyadh, the two largest cities in Saudi Arabia, uh, those four clubs in Chelsea players. But we also know Chelsea have 35 first-team players or whatever, and they need, to, they need to dump a bunch of them. So logically, if you're the Saudis and you're trying to build this, uh, this league with Vision 2030, build those four clubs at the PIF, uh, and I should point this out, at the top, Saudi Arabia now has the prospect of having a very unbalanced league, like so many of the leagues in Europe, where the PIF has in- invested in four clubs, and the other 16 clubs in the first division don't have that investment, and all these big players we're talking about are going to those four clubs. So, um, But if you're looking to build those four clubs up, I guess the first place you'd look is Chelsea, because they have a bloated squad and they need to dump players. But... Multiple articles in the Telegraph and then follow-up from other uh, outlets in Britain indicated that there seemed to be some smoke in terms of the relationship between Todd Bowley uh, and the Saudis and also that the Saudis are helping out Chelsea in terms of potential FFP uh, problems because, as we know, Chelsea spent more money in the last 12 months than any club, uh, more, cl- more, more money on transfers than any club in the history of football. So they, uh, they need help. So that's something I am concerned about. Um, now, the other side of this is the number of guys that are going to Saudi Arabia uh, that, um, that probably are entering their last contract or their next to last contract, their last big contract, and European clubs can't afford to retain them or competitively bid on their services. And we've seen phases like this before with the NASL, with uh, Japan, with, uh, with uh, Qatar, with the UAE, with uh, China most recently, right, the Chinese Super League. And those things tend to, tend to fade. They tend to go through these, these kind of phases. I don't know that this is a phase. I think this might last longer, but it also doesn't concern me because as much as that potential Chelsea story because I don't think there's a, a license, a right, a, uh, I don't think it's necessarily healthy that, Europe, that all those players stay in Europe uh, permanently. And then I also think that there is an, a sustainability question around a lot of European clubs, uh, clubs like Inter, who uh, plainly have to dump players, and China is, a, uh, is an outlet for that. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, though, one caveat is Uban Neves has moved from Wolves to, um, to Saudi Arabia. He's Wolves' best player. They're a club that fought relegation all season. He's only 26. That concerns me. Like, like a guy at that age, a guy at that level, a guy that, that is that critical to the club he plays for moving to Saudi Arabia. That's a little different than, than uh, Benzema and, and Conte and, and whoever else uh, going, right? I mean, that's, uh, that, that, that I think is, is, is more of a, a, um, a red flag. But worth noting, Wolves also in FFP trouble. And this probably saves them for a season of FFP sanctions making the sale. So Saudi Arabia is there 
as an option for players and for agents if they need to get their guy out of a, a, a situation where the club he's at is in FFP trouble and no one else in Europe can really afford his wages. So, Kante, let's break this down. I mean, like, so that that uh, representative, or actually the the president of the Saudi uh, Football Federation, was saying that the reason that the, one of the reasons they're doing this is to showcase. Uh, to the world, Saudi's uh, hospitable uh, culture and, and passion for soccer. But but really, what is the reason? Why is there that this sudden interest in Saudi Arabia now in investing in soccer, actually in sport, right? Basically kind of taking over, shaking up the, the golf world. Uh, it may do the same or pretty similar to it in soccer. And we've seen recent investment from Qatar, Practically any soccer game you watch these days now, whether it's the CONCACAF uh, Gold Cup, whether it's the, the World Cup, uh, Premier League, most of the advertising you see is uh, Qatar. You mean, uh, whatever the slogan is, embrace Qatar or visit Qatar, whatever it may be. But what at the heart of this, what is what is the real reason that Saudi Arabia suddenly is hugely invest, uh, interested in, in soccer? I think it is a, it is a sport washing uh, element. I think it's not just we talk about sport washing in terms of uh, of the Saudis and the Qataris and the Emiratis, uh, UAE trying to gain acceptance in the West. That's that's really the perspective we talk about. There's another perspective which is the Saudi regime is a brutal regime, but football is a very popular sport in Saudi Arabia. Unlike China, where it wasn't, it's not particularly popular per capita. U.S. It's not particularly popular per capita. Uh, what other countries did I mention earlier? Japan. Um, they were trying to grow the game when they went out and got a lot of the top players that they got uh, in, in in the nineties. Uh, they uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. It's kind of a bread and circus thing. I think it, they feel like if they uh, if they give the uh, the masses these these top football stars, there might be less uh, reluctance. To, to rebel, uh, there may be more reluctance to rebel. There might they might keep even some of the migrant workers. Uh, for example, there are two and a half million people who are registered as Indian citizens or, or of Indian origin uh, in Saudi Arabia. And when you consider how small the kingdom's population is, thirty million or so, that's a pretty big chunk of the population. So. Keeping people like that happy as well. You, you're bringing them Ronaldo. You're bringing them Benzema. You're bringing them Conte. You're potentially bringing them now Roberto Firmino and Hakim Ziyech and any number of other uh, guys. Uh, I've heard uh, Brozovic, a uh, player I, I rate really highly, uh, linked with, with uh, Saudi clubs. So, uh, so many guys that maybe uh, satisfy the palate of football fans in Saudi Arabia – Again, different than China. China's qualified for one World Cup. Uh, we know Saudi Arabia qualifies regularly for for major international tournaments, and they beat Argentina in this last World Cup, right? They, they gave a very good accounting of themselves at this last World Cup. So we saw with a cutter in the World Cup uh, in regards to sports washing, uh, washing, right, in terms of all of the human rights abuses, everything that's happening within Qatar, uh, lack of human rights there, and uh, how Qatar continues to try to paint a different picture, tries to focus on, you mean, look at all these great things we're doing for sport, essentially in some ways buying out uh, the sport in some ways in terms of coverage. We saw that with uh, Fox's coverage of the, the World Cup. So much of it was uh, sponsored by uh, Qatar, the main sponsor. Uh, some of the editorial decisions that Fox Sports made certainly um, would have been favorable uh, to Qatar, as we saw uh, on television. 
And then we've got Saudi Arabia. Uh, we won't go into all of the human rights abuses there, Kartik, but there is uh, uh, Jamal Khashoggi, the, uh, the reporter, the journalist, who was um, killed at the Saudi consulate. Um, I think it was in, in, in Istanbul, dismembered, um, probably because of his criticisms of the, the Saudi crown prince. Uh, and, then, and there's plenty of other human rights abuses too. A lot of shady stuff that happen in, in Saudi Arabia. And, and, and in Saudi Arabia, the leader, um, MBS there, uh, has been given uh, U.S. immunity over the uh, Khashoggi killing. Um, they never did find his body. So, so Kartik, from a human rights perspective, I mean, is this something we should be worried about in terms of what Saudi Arabia is doing with the sport of soccer and, and growing it and trying to use it for sports washing? Is, is this something we should be should pay attention to and, and, and try to stand up against this? Yeah, we absolutely should be concerned about it. And we've obviously seen that there's uh, uh, already uh, a backlash when uh, Newcastle was bought and reported uh, rightly and diligently pointed out the Khashoggi killing and any number of other uh, barbaric practices in the kingdom and actually kingdom of Saudi Arabia is is, is that much worse than Qatar or UAE so if people uh, complain about the Qatar World Cup or, or Manchester City's ownership or, or PSG's ownership I mean the Saudis are much much worse and uh, really like a medieval kingdom in reality in the way that they they, they they govern so many things so you absolutely should be concerned about that and here's something to watch also, Chris, like we talked about with Todd Bowley, there seems to be a situation where um, as private equity and investment bankers and these sorts of uh, entities get more involved in buying football clubs uh, in Europe, largely U.S.-based uh, investment uh, bankers and, and, and U.S.-based firms. Hedge funds, hedge fund managers also are involved in this. Right. Um, they all have ties to Saudi Arabia, which is why I, I ultimately don't know the truth about the Bowley situation. I don't necessarily want to jump to the conclusion a lot of people in the UK have, which have said, now this is the most corrupt thing ever. You know, it's funny. They were two, three, three weeks ago, they were complaining about Manchester City and, and FFP and, and UAE. And now that's that's. Uh, that's child's play compared to what they they uh, are inferring might have happened with Chelsea and Bowley's connections to the Saudis. I don't want to jump to that conclusion. If, if it is, in fact, what people suspect it is, it is a huge, huge scandal and a huge blight on football. But I don't uh, I, I don't know that it's it's just not a coincidence, right? Because so many of these investment bankers and hedge fund managers and people involved in private equity do business with the Saudi royal family and with the PIF, with the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, which owns Newcastle and owns the uh, uh, majority in these four clubs we've talked about in the Saudi league, that it's kind of, uh, you could make that uh, uh, guilt by association in, in many cases. Ultimately, we don't know the, the truth, but here's the thing. As we keep going in this, uh, as the Saudis continue to become bigger and bigger players in football, I think we're going to be asking these questions when Chelsea sells players to uh, the Saudi league or whoever the next team is that has some sort of investment bank uh, owning them or some sort of hedge fund, uh, right? And, and uh, like Alan Pace, the owner of Burnley, comes from that sort of world. Uh, the next time one of those clubs sells a, a player to Saudi Arabia, we're going to be suspicious. And again, I want to make this clear because Chelsea fans jumped down my throat a week ago on, on social media and, and on Beyond the 90. I am not 
I am not sure yet. There is smoke. I don't know if there's a fire. And I know the Telegraph seems to have jumped into thinking that there's a, a definitive link. I don't want to go there yet, but it does look suspicious that there are five or six Chelsea players going to Saudi Arabia uh, when Chelsea are in FFP trouble. We know the Saudis are upping their spending on football, and we know the ties between them and Bowley. So there is plenty of reason to be suspicious. All right, let's move on to listen to the mailbag. And Kartik, we've got a lot of feedback from uh, listeners uh, in regards to the last podcast we did about uh, U.S. Open Cup and MLS's involvement or lack of involvement in that. First up is Dan. Dan says, The comments made by Major League Soccer and the Players Union are disingenuous at best. How can they possibly complain about venues for Open Cup games while they're going to be running the Messi show from the, the Drive Pink Stadium? They lose all credibility in that discussion. As much as anything, I feel that they're struggling to justify the idea that MLS is far superior to USL. They're not. USL and uh, USL Championship and uh, MLS are closer in quality than the impression that's often given, and the Open Cup exposes that. MLS would be better off taking the cup seriously and trying to crush um, the USL uh, Championship. I don't believe that they really could just decide to do that. The tournament against uh, Liga Mackies will be great for the League's Cup, but what happens if Liga, Liga Max uh, runs MLS off the pitch? John Adams says, I enjoyed your chat about the US Open Cup on the recent podcast episode. One thing that wasn't mentioned about the venue comments is that MLS clubs uh, that are hosting games are also not putting their best foot forward. I'm a fan of San Diego Loyal, and we were drawn to play Seattle Sounders away in this year's Open Cup. I was originally excited to see my local club potentially play in a much bigger venue than we typically do. Except when game day uh, came around, the Seattle Sounders played uh, host at their MLS Next Pro venue. So if MLS wants to criticize the venues in the U.S. Open Cup, they also need to evaluate themselves in this regard too. Stones and glass houses and such. Thank you. uh, Love the podcast. Uh, Khalil says uh, U.S. Open Cup would only be relevant if there was if there was promotion and relegation uh, in the United States, so that the lower division teams were ultimately building towards uh, something, and the first division teams were trying to avoid relegation. Not that it would, uh, it, not not that it would or should have a direct influence on that. But what makes, for example, the FA Cup special is that, is that the, those lower division teams are all trying to rise. Rob says that MLS playing too many games is a joke. Firstly, this is what squads are for. Uh, Secondly, every uh, team in the English Premier League plays as many league games as the finalists that play in the MLS and more games that actually matter. Teams fighting relegation aren't going to roll over for the top teams. The real problem is that uh, resting the best players over a season makes it harder for a team to win MLS and the Open Cup and the CONCACAF Champions League in the same season. Doing the treble should be extra challenging and not the expectation of the best-funded team in the league. Premier League teams often use the early rounds of the League's Cup. Well, actually, uh, Premier League teams often use the early rounds of the league's, uh, the League Cup, English League Cup. <laughs> There's too many League's Cups. Uh, English League Cup, uh, Carabao Cup, uh, to rest the starters and give the second string and young players some uh, competitive matches. 
Kartik, let me take a pause there. There's some some really good uh, comments and uh, input from the the listeners. Any any thoughts on any of those uh, points raised? Yeah, I think that there's uh, to me no question that uh, also to Dan's point that maybe undermining U.S. Open Cup has another purpose that we didn't really discuss on Friday in that podcast, which is since USL championship clubs do very well in the tournament, um, maybe this undermines the idea that the results of the tournament matter because the head-to-head comparison about quality of the two leagues can be made based on results in the tournament. MLS teams win the tournament every year. However, every season, there are several being eliminated by lower division competition. Last year, we had a USL team reach the, semi, uh, reach the finals. Uh, th- this year, we had two reach the quarterfinals. So um, if the... 30 best teams in the country are all MLS teams, or I, I don't even know how many teams are in MLS 29. anymore. Uh, 29, 30, 29. Yeah, the 29 best teams are in the or MLS teams. Logically, if you have a quarterfinals, now obviously because of the draw, teams can play each other earlier. MLS teams, although they do protect them, by the way, in round in round three, MLS teams can't face each other. Um, if, they, if that were the case, then the eight quarterfinalists would all be MLS teams. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. But in the round of 16, you had uh, two MLS teams lose to two USL teams, which is how two USL teams got into the quarterfinals. So they don't want the comparison. That is absolutely correct. And that has always been the case with any competition that uh, that 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 that, uh, potentially embarrasses MLS. I can go back to my own experience with the CONCACAF Champions League. We had a team, Puerto Rico Islanders. They beat the L.A. Galaxy over two legs. Uh, in the qualifying phase of that tournament. And uh, the, the very night that um, the, the, the first leg took place, or maybe it was the second leg, well, one of the two legs, the very night that took place was a night that uh, Don Garber made comments to the media about minor leagues and uh, characterizing lower divisions as minor leagues. And, you know, it would be great to have relationships with the minor leagues. And then uh, I think made some kind of crack about market sizes and some of the places that there were lower division teams. So there's always an insecurity that, uh, that comes out when they're in these competitions and teams from the lower divisions do better than, uh, uh, than the MLS side. Next up is uh, Vihan or, or, or uh, Vihan, and he says, uh, I do not follow Major League Soccer, but I would love to watch Inter-Miami games for Messi. Is the MLS season pass the only option I have, or are games uh, going to be shown live on Fox and other channels? Is this similar to what NBC has with the Premier League? So, so great question. So um, over the course of the regular season, uh, there's, I think it's 34 games. 34 games uh, are going to be televised on Fox. Uh, we're already more than halfway through the season, so um, we've already gone through a lot of those on Fox and FS1. So there's going to be, I mean, basically just a little bit more than maybe a dozen uh, games left uh, to be shown on television. So roughly about one a week on television. Now every single game is streaming on Major League so- uh, MLS Season Pass. Uh, even if it's on television, it's on MLS Season Pass also. And then the comparison between the Premier League and uh, Major League Soccer. So with the Premier League, roughly 50% of the games are exclusive to Peacock. Uh, in Major League Soccer, the amount of games that are exclusive to MLS Season Pass is about 88%. So a big difference, right? It's uh, 88% of the games are exclusively available 
on MLS season pass uh, for the regular season. And then the remainder 12% are also uh, available on television on, on either Fox or FS1. Great question. Uh, next up is Scott. Scott says, uh, MLS has made a critical mistake with Messi. They have failed to address the issues ahead of mass production. They have made the DMC <laughs> DeLorean mistake. It's no secret MLS has uh, failed to sell the product domestically. Their temporary solution uh, remains simple and, and effective expansion. But expansion can't last forever. And now they have uh, placed this version of their product center stage to the world that will be mocked and ridiculed. These new fans are buying Messi, not Major League Soccer. Take away Messi and what is MLS selling? Number one, they're selling participation is bought, and is bought, not earned. Number two, 29 teams are an insufficient number for a league. Number three, playoffs should decide the champion, not league form. And then number four, low division clubs are not a vital part of the soccer pyramid. Does this sound like a product that these fans want to watch? Does this sound like a legitimate soccer league? The recent comments made by Zlatan and Gareth Bale should be a huge red flag. They walked away with the verdict, it's not the real thing. These new arriving fans are no different. MLS has now cemented the narrative and has spent billions trying to overcome um, out of uh, their own arrogance. Billionaire band-aids don't work in the public square of soccer. Just ask Qatar. <laughs> Some strong words there from Scott. We've seen Qatar too, even in the, the Gold Cup. I mean, even the World Cup, right? The, the worst performing team. Uh, and then the Gold Cup so far, um, this, this well, yesterday actually, or this week, uh, losing to Haiti um, in the last minute. So on the pitch, not so much for Qatar. Off the pitch, I could argue that actually they've done well in terms of trying to buy buy a lot of uh, broadcasters and fans. But Kartik, any any take on that in terms of what Scott's saying? Some, some pretty harsh stuff, but um, you mean it, in some ways, you mean it, it's valid, right? Yeah, I think it is very valid. And, and, and the recent comments by Bale were particularly, to me, telling, given the timing. And this is something that, by the way, American players have said. Casey Keller on ESPN FC a few years ago said that he was struck when, and, and he was, this, was, I, this was right after the U.S. hadn't qualified uh, in 2017 for the 2018 World Cup. So now it's about five and a half years. So I, I said recently, kind of recently, semi-recently. Keller said when he got to Seattle, he was shocked, right? Because um, the team would lose a game or two and uh, it would be no big deal. Oh, we'll just go get him next time. There was no real consequence he felt for losing, and that was something very new to him culturally. Uh, he had been overseas since he moved to Millwall, I think, in in '92. So he came back. 2009 is when he came back to MLS. So he'd been in Europe uh, for 17 years and had played in in Germany, England, and Spain. So he had seen you know a lot uh, in in all those different countries and cultures, and and it was a red flag for him, and he was pinning part of the U.S.'s failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup on that. So these are the types of things that uh, MLS uh, fans like to push back on, but they're real issues. And for someone 
uh, like me who's very invested in lower division soccer, who's been around lower division soccer, who's talking to people in lower division soccer almost every single day, uh, we do feel like we're excluded. We feel like in many ways we're not part of the, the, the greater soccer ecosystem, even though we're producing more of the players and more, more of the grassroots energy and, 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 the, and the participatory side of the sport for American for young American uh, men and women because MLS and NWSL I'll throw them in there uh, have these single entity uh, f- uh, things that are based on expansion and, and basically buying participation so um, it, it really is backwards I could see though with this uh, can't take I, I mean so when Messi comes the stadium is going to be sold out uh, television coverage for, for those games those few games that are on Fox. I could see those breaking some records. I could see two million people t- tuning in, or, or perhaps even greater than that. I could see big, big numbers for uh, a game, maybe his debut, whatever it may be. MLS season pass, even though we won't see those numbers, I'm sure those will skyrocket. But ultimately, it may end up being that MLS is not the one that actually profits from all of this. Well, they will profit, but but in terms of long term, it might be that you're introducing a whole new audience. To Messi, they see Messi play. They're wowed by his, his incredible skill, seeing it first person or seeing it on television. Introducing new people to the equation, and ultimately, the long term benefit from that may be just generating more soccer fans. And as those soccer fans become more educated or more well versed in terms of what are the best tournaments or the best leagues, what are the most competitive uh, ones to watch, some of that will be MLS. But I would argue that it could be Serie A, it could be Bundesliga, it could be Liga Mekis, it could be the Premier League, it could be the Champions League, it could be so on and so forth, that it's going to, they may end up being the actual long-term winners in this. And it may not be MLS because at some point, people are going to watch, start watching MLS more closely and see some of these other games and see some of these other teams uh, when Messi's not involved in them, and the, I mean, with 29 teams, right? It's it is a diluted league in terms of the talent. Some teams are great, uh, for the most part. Some are not so great. I mean, it's and it's very, it's very um, inconsistent. I think so far this season, this season is going on right now is on track to beat the records of the most zero zero nil nil games in MLS history. So um, there's been a lot of duds. I mean, any and, and unfortunately, a lot of them have ended up being on television. The, those big games, the FS1 or the Fox games, there's been a lot of those. So um, it will ask a lot of the questions about long term. Once the buzz uh, evaporates with Messi, you know, and, and things get back to normal, I think the quality is going to be something that people are going to look at and go. I mean, we're missing something. Is this the best of the best? No, it isn't. So which which are the best leagues or tournaments? And those audiences may go in that direction. But by that point, though, too, MLS would have cashed the checks and would be at least sitting pretty in terms of uh, generating a lot of traffic and money. So maybe they won't care at that point because they're, they're thinking maybe more short term. All right. Uh, we have a voicemail from Chris. All right. Here's the voicemail. Hi, guys. I have a quick question for you guys about NBC's Premier League coverage for this upcoming season. Uh, my question is, with NBC showing a good amount of Big Ten college football and basketball games this upcoming season, especially in the fall and winter, could this mean significantly 
significantly less Premier League games on linear TV, NBC, and USA? And if so, what would be the Premier League's reaction to that? All right, Kartik, as the uh, expert college sports fan, uh, it's not me. (laughs) Uh, What do you think about this? Do you think uh, Chris has a point here? I, I guess. I mean, I to be honest, uh, you say I'm an ex, I'm a college sports fan. I, I really only watch the ACC and in basketball, so I don't know when the Big Ten football games are. I think they're probably, I'm guessing they're noon and 3.30 Eastern, although noon would be 11 Central time, right? So that, uh, right. and uh, Big East is most, uh, Big uh, Big Ten is mostly um, Central time. I, I, uh, I don't know if it would cause a conflict. Uh, now, in basketball, it will. CBS did show some uh, Big Ten basketball games this year in February, uh, and, and uh, the Big Ten tournament in March. Uh, in time slots, which would be the same time, NBC were showing the twelve thirty Eastern time kickoff in the Premier League. So, basketball definitely there could be conflicts. Football, I assume there could be also, but remember with Notre Dame, NBC was able to bump, uh, was often able to bump those games to where they're starting at 3 or 3.30. The coverage is starting at 3 and 3.30, and they get the Premier League match in as a lead-in. The Big Ten contract, I believe, is being split three ways, right? It's CBS, Fox, and uh, NBC, so maybe they'll work around their other commitments. I think uh, it ultimately depends on golf, because golf is split, uh, the PGA Tour, and maybe there'll be a format change next year with this live merger, who knows. But it's split between NBC and CBS. And where we see um, other events end up has a, lot, lot, uh, has a lot to do with whether CBS or NBC is showing golf that particular weekend. And that includes the Premier League. We've seen Premier League games dumped since the beginning of the uh, time with NBC 10 seasons ago because of golf. Yeah, about Chris's question about like what the Premier League's reaction to that would be. I, if it does happen, I, I don't think they have an issue with it. I mean, it's uh, those games are available on Peacock if they're not, not available on NBC or USA. Um, I mean, they have other TV networks they could put games on uh, if that was an issue. CNBC is one example on weekends. But um, we've seen from the Premier League in terms of Peacock, I mean, some of those games are getting what, over half a million to 750,000 people just watching games on, on Peacock, which is fantastic numbers. So I don't think it's a, uh, an obstacle uh, or a deterrent uh, for most people. Adam says, um, what are your thoughts, uh, Kartik and Chris, on the 3 p.m. blackouts in the United Kingdom uh, where there's no football show shown for two hours until 5 p.m. Are you are you for or against? The, this has been since the 1970s, right? But are you for or against the the blackout window in the UK? I'm for it because it uh, protects local football clubs and lower league clubs from being uh, uh, overwhelmed by people staying at home watching, potentially watching Premier League games. Yeah. So I think it's an important way of force uh, of um, maintaining support for local clubs. That's why it's in place. I'm for it, but because of uh, I can rub it into my uh, any any British relatives or friends I have. I'm like, ah, we've got access to every single game. We can watch all the games. Uh, from the Premier League during that window, uh, but you cannot. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but um, I, I see both both points on this one. I mean, in, in this day and age, it, it does seem crazy to have no black uh, to have blackouts. 
Uh, and I think we've seen the benefits of um, not having blackouts for Major League Soccer, making it simpler, making it easier for p- people to watch games. And um, But it, it would have an impact on lower league soccer. And yeah, and if it does hurt that, then ultimately at the end of the day, um, I don't think it, it should be changed. All right, last but not least, uh, we have a voicemail from Juan. Hey, World Soccer Talk podcast crew. My name is Juan in North Carolina, Charlotte. Uh, I am a big fan of Syria uh, and uh, your podcast uh, last week about uh, what CBS could do to improve it. Um, there really needs to be a larger discussion on the Spanish uh, audio. Uh, I grew up with Spanish audio. Uh, you know, as, as, as a native Spanish speaker, Spanish audio of, uh, of soccer, football, uh, was very important to me, and uh, it still is. So I wish CBS would uh, at least have some sort of uh, world feed for uh, Spanish audio. Um, I can't stand uh, any of the English audio that is not Mateo or um, Dre Cordero. So uh, just prop. Pops to them, they're really good, but they can't do every game. So uh, we really need a, a Spanish world feed like they have for English and Italian language. Thanks again. You guys are the best. Bye. So, yeah, Juan, uh, great points there, too. The, the, the secret with to this, uh, and most people don't know it, is that some games are already in Spanish audio for games on Paramount Plus for Serie A. Now, to find it is not easy, and it depends on which device you're using. But we do have an article at worldsoccertalk.com that walks you through the different steps uh, to be able to figure out if there is Spanish language uh, commentary available for those games. At least it was last season. So I'll drop that link in the, the show notes. So take a look at that and see if that helps answer your question. To the larger question about um, but why... Doesn't all the games have it? Um, I don't think there's that much demand. I mean, yes, it, it's a nice to have, but how many Spanish language viewers are interested in watching Serie A? What, what do you think, Kartik? Is there a bigger audience there than than, uh, than people might think? No, I, I, I don't think it was ever a, a driver from talking to people back in that era, that period at BN when they had BN Sports in Espanol. It didn't get the numbers uh, they wanted, nor when uh, ESPN uh, showed the matches in Espanol. That having been said, I think CBS has been a little, um, has a been, yeah, I, I, it's tough to poke holes in CBS's soccer coverage because ne- it's been so comprehensive. Negligence. About. But I think they've been a yeah, they've been a little negligent in, in, in alternate language feeds uh, on Paramount Pre- uh, uh, Plus for the things they have the rights to in the alternate languages. Now, they don't have UEFA Champions League rights or uh, CONCACAF rights uh, in the alternate language, but they do for some of their other properties, and they've been very uh, reluctant, I think, to, 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 to exploit that. Yeah, and that's the thing that's been missing overall from CBS Sports um, since the beginning uh, since they've had soccer coverage is that they don't have a Spanish language um, channel, right? I mean, you look at uh, Fox Sports, Fox has you know, FS1, FS2, etc. But they also have Fox Deportes. ESPN has ESPN channels and they have ESPN uh, Deportes. BN Sports has the Spanish language channels and the English language channels. Uh, NBC has Telemundo so on and so forth. But CBS uh, does not have a Spanish language 
um, channel or, or division or branch where they could say, okay, let's go ahead and have those games on, on that. So even when they have the rights, um, it, it's difficult, right? What do you do with them? And then if you do audio for some of these games, um, it's you're losing money on that. You're not going to gain uh, money on that. So um, it would be something that they would just do now and again, perhaps. But yeah, but but great point, Juan. All right, guys, uh, let's uh, finish up there. Um, we appreciate your feedback. Uh, feel free to let us know what feedback you have, questions, etc. We'd love to read those out on air. There's a bunch of different ways you can reach out to us. We've got a bunch of voicemails this week, which is fantastic. Uh, you can leave a voicemail at 561-247-4625. You can go ahead and send us an, e- send us an email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can go to the website, worldsoccertalk.com, and click on podcasts and then leave a comment in the latest uh, podcast episode. Uh, what else? Facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, youtube.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. So a bunch of different places to leave your feedback. And uh, again, we appreciate uh, every one of those. And we'll always do our best to try to read those out on air. Uh, we promise to try to get to everything, but sometimes it, it's difficult. So, all right. And Kartik, where can listeners find your written work and uh, other podcasts perhaps? or uh, And also where can they find you online on social media? Yeah, so uh, at beyondthe90.substack.com and uh, uh, looking forward to, to probably finally taping an interview with uh, – um, with the manager, uh, with excuse me, the owner of uh, of Club de Leon uh, uh, this week, uh, and, and uh, that's an exciting club here in Florida and Nisa, and uh, other written work there at Beyond the Ninety. You can find me on Twitter at KKFLA seven three seven. All right, we've got uh, Concacaf uh, Gold Cup this week, of course, with uh, more games, uh, U.S. against uh, St. Kitts and and uh, uh, Nevis plus much, much more from around uh, this hemisphere and from around the world. So whatever you do, uh, Kartik, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football.